The following is a presentation of the PTB Media Network. Parking the Bus podcast can be followed on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, or if you have an Amazon Echo by simply saying, Alexa, play the Parking the Bus podcast. Don't forget to check out the show's homepage at www.parkingthebusmedia.com. You're listening to the Parking the Bus podcast's continuing coverage of Euro 2020 here on the PTB Media Network. What's up, PTB Nation? Welcome to another episode of Parking the Bus. It's episode 60, and I am the Mr. Mike Agostino here once again. And Fade My Play is here with me as well. What's up, man? How's it going? It's going well. Sorry you caught me in transit. Got to head to the airport, but I I couldn't help but get on today after uh, the matches that we watched and knowing one of the semifinals uh, already. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, same here. I was also in transit. Uh, new surroundings around me. Uh, I've been in a dispute with my internet provider. They, The reason for the problems <laughs> was they, they cut my speeds. They were throttling me. My parents are in Portugal, so I'm invading their house to record this show right now. I can't believe how fast this internet is. Wow. So what did you think? Let's start with the first game. Let's start with, with the Spain match earlier. What did you think off the top? I mean, damn. Like, so I I tweeted this out and I couldn't believe it. It was, I just can't believe how many positive, uh, what's the way, how many gifts the Spanish were given in that game. I mean, it could not have been easier for them to win that game, yet somehow they almost lost it. If it wasn't for the worst penalty kicks we have seen in the tournament i mean one through four terrible terrible from the swiss yeah uh, but i mean you had the first of all they have all the possession we know that that's the spanish game second of all they get an own goal in the opening 15 minutes so they're already on the front foot and they're so good at holding possession that you think this plays right into their system and then on top of that They have multiple chances, which they never put away. I mean, Moreno, my goodness. Like, they just couldn't do anything with it. Then Switzerland equalizes on one of the most hilariously terrible defensive plays (laughs) we've seen in the tournament. I mean, they were all sixes and sevens. And Shakiri, he's not going to miss from that range. So they level it up. They had a million chances. Then they get a Swiss red card for an extremely, extremely soft call. I mean, Michael Oliver, before the game I was tweeting, if it's a Michael Oliver game, there's going to be some fireworks, and sure enough, we got him. Uh, I thought it was a very, very harsh red. But, you know, I mean, letter of the law, studs were up, both his feet were off the ground. It's supposed to be a red card, so it was. I wouldn't have given it because it completely turned the game on its head. And the Swiss defended their asses off. But again, in extra time, Spain had arguably, I think, what, 
four or five point blank chances. Mm. I mean, the Moreno one was the worst, but they had four or five shots that were, I mean, they summer had an unbelievable, unbelievable game, but at the yeah. same time, they were just shooting right at him. It was unbelievable. And then, you know, it goes to PKs and uh, just the saddest way to exit for the Swiss because you have, I mean, talk about getting off on the right foot. You have, of all people, uh, Sergio Busquets hit the post. Mm-hmm. And then Summer saves the second one. So you think, oh, wow, this is Switzerland's game to lose. And boy, did they. I mean, just terrible penalty kick, terrible penalty kick, and skied it to lose it. I mean, just a, just a real tough loss for the Swiss after they did so well to keep it 1-1. But I mean, again, this is, you know... A Spanish team that neither of us were convinced by. This is a Spanish mm-hmm. team that I don't think anyone is. No one's intimidated by them. The 10 goals that they had in the previous two games before this was complete gold dust. I mean, sure. absolutely no way that that's going to continue. And we saw it today. I mean, you look at that team that was out there today and you look at the chances they had and the misses they had and the amount of possession and the red card and the own goal and they still couldn't win the game how the hell is this team going to beat someone like Italy who had a fantastic defensive scheme today? You know, I, the, the penalty, when I first saw it, like the naked eye, I thought it was a penalty, Mm -hmm. you know, it was, it was a little soft, but you know, right away I thought it was, but other than that, Belgium never really looked like scoring the Italy fully controlled that game. Uh, And also I just, it was, you know, I, it was just disgusting to watch the Spanish like try and will themselves to a win through some cheap penalty or some mm-hmm. dumb free kick. I just, I see them getting absolutely taken to task by the Italians in the next round. But I, yeah, I just did not like what I saw from Spain today. I think that they are a team that is lost for identity. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that. And I also felt the same way. It was such an anticlimactic finish because again, we talked about all of the, all of the, uh, insurmounting odds that that Switzerland had to overcome just to take it to penalties, mm-hmm. and then especially they just won a shootout. You'd think they'd be so you'd think they'd be comfortable, and you'd think that they would be the ones to be converting you know the penalties easier. But and I noticed that um, that they he saved them both in the same spot, and I'm talking about Unai Simone. Yeah. You know you've seen a goalie dive twice to the same side. Why is the third guy shooting it to the same spot? That's where I'm, I'm yeah. like, come on. Like, and, you know, that's where he wants so to go. Soft. And yeah. so soft. I mean, both, I felt like both of the saves, uh, you know, part of the reason they were saved is because he had time to react. He didn't just guess, you know, right, because the exactly. shots had no pace on them. There was no venom. And I'll say this, I mean, you know, the Swiss did very well to get it to a PK, but mm-hmm. One of the ways in which a red card affects a game is oh, not yeah. just the fact that you have an extra player, but the fact that the Swiss were down a player, which means mm-hmm. that they're defending for their lives. And because there's extra time, it wasn't just for the final 13 minutes. It was for no, that it final was 13 43, plus was 43 another 30. Minutes, yeah. Exactly. So every one of their penalty takers, you know, the red card affected it because they had of tired course. legs. You know, I mean, they mm-hmm. were just gassed. They'd just gone to penalties with France. I just think that the moment caught up to them they played by the seat of their pants for so long but finally i mean they just they just gave in to exhaustion 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm going to go down the lineups real quick, starting with Switzerland. They're playing a 3-4-2-1. Jan Sommer in goal, like we said, he had a fantastic game today. Um, mm-hmm. The three in the back, Nico Elvedi, Manuel Akanji, and Ricardo Rodriguez. Four in midfield, Silvan Widmer. Dennis Zakaria was in. He's a change. He was added to the lineup. Uh, Remo Freuler and Steven Zuber with the three in attack. It was Shakiri and Mbolo playing behind the striker Seferovic while... Oh, shit. Sorry. I, I got to interrupt you. That was another <laughs> thing for Spain is that Real Mbolo goes out in, what, the first... 10 early. minutes or so? I, yeah, uh, minute 23. A, minute 23, yeah, he was substituted. Because of a non-contact injury, like, you know, total accident, mm-hmm. nobody's fault. But he was their biggest threat because of his pace mm-hmm. and his height. So, like, their whole plan was to sit in deep and have him go forward. And 23 mm-hmm. minutes into the game, you know, their best attacking player other than Shakiri is out. Right. So, for Spain, they come out in their 4-3-3, the only way they play. Um <laughs> Unai Simone in goal, of course. Azil Pueta, uh, Laporte, Pau Torres, and Jordi Alba in the back. Midfield, you had Coque, Sergio Busquets, and Pedri. Uh, in the attack, Ferran Torres, Alvaro Morata, and Pablo Sarabia. Um, so, again, like you just said, Imbolo uh, gets injured in the 23rd minute. That makes a difference, obviously. Um, you get a Zacharia own goal in the eighth minute a a totally totally uh unlucky own goal because azil puerta's shooting but you know that thing looked like it was going well wide and it just it just hits him perfectly and redirects into into the goal no chance for jan summer on the play okay and now we have a comment from at dgens united our number one fan uh he says that was more of a red card than the other day. Double studs up, didn't win the ball. Yeah, again, I, yeah. I agreed that it's a red letter of the law. I just thought that the impact that that had on the game at that time, you know, I just think it was harsh to give, but letter he, of the law, studs here's up, two my feet problem. off the ground, it's a red. Here's my problem. He didn't look at it. He didn't go over to the yeah, board and look over to the monitor red. and look at it. Yeah, that is If true. he looks at it and still believes it's a red card, I'm good with that. The That's last good. time That's he went point. and he looked at it, you know, um, I'm not I'm not sure that the studs were up, to be honest. And he catches yeah, him with this I trail mean, leg. It's they, tough. Yeah, but the, fir- the first foot he put out, studs are up mm-hmm. and both feet are off the ground. It's, yeah, that's you know. true. But um, and just it's heartbreaking. The Spanish, so they sold the they sold the that, uh, that's what I felt like. And I don't you know, apologies to any. <laughs> Apologies to any Spain fans, but it just feels like they're being willed through this tournament by by forces, by referees, by the fact that they played three games at home when they were horrible, but they got through. And so DJs is saying that I'm calling for more VAR. All hell has frozen over. I, I'm not anti-VAR. <laughs> I, I don't like the way it's applied sometimes. And this yeah. this is an example of it. Like it's there. It's a red. It's if it's a direct red. I feel like it should have been looked at. Of course, we don't know the communication between the VAR between the VAR in um, 
in the booth and, and the referee on, on the pitch. So we don't know what conversation they had. If we, if that kind of information was made public, like in rugby, we could say, Oh, that's why they didn't look at it. Okay. Right. Call made, but we have no idea. Uh, D Jens is asking what Jersey I'm wearing. This is Hartford athletic USL championship. It's my Jersey of the week. Um, <laughs> uh, but getting Hartford, back Connecticut. Yep. Hartford, Connecticut, uh, third year go. franchise. Yeah. So, I'm a, I'm a, <laughs> that's hilarious. Anyway, sorry. Keep, <laughs> no, that's all right. Um, but okay. So it was a red card. It was going forward a little bit, but 68th minute Shakiri scores. And that got excited at that point because I'm like, man, this 10 men, this 10 man, uh, oh, they weren't 10 men yet, but this Swiss side missing, you know, missing Mbolo. They, they keep fighting and fighting, and I'm like, this team won't quit. And they really make you get behind them. Yeah. And it's a team that, like, we, I think you and I, we talked about this. They're very much a team. That's their identity. They're, there's no big stars per se. There's just very good players. Well, and, and, and there's another uh, another tick for of good luck for Spain is that Granachaca wasn't in because of – in being in yellow card trouble, so he couldn't play today. Their captain, right. you know, the leader of the team, wasn't able to play. So, yeah, another thing going wrong for the Swiss that went right for the Spanish. Yeah, no doubt. So it's just you're watching it, and I really thought that Switzerland was going to win this shootout. We can go to the yeah, the shots and break those down. I've got them here. Let's see. So... Up first was Spain, Sergio Busquets. Like you said, he, he hits the left, his left upright to the right of the goalkeeper. Sends the goalkeeper the wrong way, but hits the post. Uh, Mario Gavranovic, who came on for Seferovic late, just like they did in the last game. They, uh, they made the same change. Uh, he scores. He converts his. So it's one nothing after one. And that was it. Yeah, and actually, I think Switzerland shot first. Now that I yeah, Switzerland went first. So Switzerland converts first, and then Spain misses. But then Fabian Schar misses the chance to go up two, which would have put all kinds of more pressure on on Danny Olmo, the second shooter for Spain. He misses. So I believe it was saved by by Unai yeah, Simone. Saved by Summer. Yeah. So then Daniel Olmo steps up, converts, it's 1-1. Now Manuela Kanji misses horribly. Terrible. Actually, like, no, no, he's soft the one that was safe. Yeah, it was yeah, soft, soft, very soft. Right into that bottom now, right corner. Yeah, his was very soft. Rodri steps up, he's, his is saved. So it's still 1-1 after three. Ruben Vargas with maybe the worst penalty, although after I, I caught the Paraguay versus Peru uh, shootout tonight <laughs> just before coming on, and uh, there were two just like that for Paraguay as well. But it was just that thing went out of the stadium. Like, <laughs> um, And then Gerard, Gerard Moreno steps up. He converts. Spain take the lead. And I think I went out of order again. But finally, Mikel Oyarzabal converts his final one. And the first scenes you see is Ruben Vargas just losing it. And he's he's collapsing and bawling his eyes out in one of his coach's arms. And, I mean, you could feel for Switzerland because it was such a feel-good story. And, Absolutely. you know, two teams right now really are capturing the 
the imagination, if you will, of the of the neutrals, Switzerland and Denmark right now are the Denmark, ones ca- yep. capturing the the neutrals. And man, they were so close to the semifinals, you know. And um, yeah. and you know, I was thinking to myself, they wouldn't be in a bad situation taking on Italy, having already lost badly to Italy in the. Mm. If I'm Italy, that I don't want to see Switzerland for that reason. Um, I know that the players could become complacent. They're going to remember the three nothing, and and everything has changed now. The context is completely different, and they're not going to be playing in Rome. They're playing in London, so it'll be a completely different match. So I, I even would say that Italy may feel relieved that they're going to be seeing Spain and not not Switzerland. There's a lot more fight in the Swiss side too. I feel like they would be harder to take down. Well, I mean, you got to keep in mind that one, these are two teams that know each other extremely well between mm-hmm. Italy and Spain. Uh, you know, they've played each other more times than any other combination in the Euros. On top of that, you know, a lot of the players are top shelf players at major clubs and whatnot, granted in different leagues. But also, I think that this is a spot where exactly like you said, Italy, maybe not relieved, but maybe not. they're going to feel like this is a much more just talent versus talent game versus when you play a match against someone like the Swiss, you know, like Ukraine or something like that. There's the Cinderella, you know, energy behind them. There's the fight, like no, the underdog fight. Nobody believes in us. Nobody thought we could be here. We're going to give that extra 10%. We're going to find that extra 5% when we need it because of that. And that's always a dangerous team to play against. And we saw that today, you know, with, um, with Switzerland leveling it up and playing 43 minutes down a man and still mm-hmm. keeping it uh, evens. And, you know, very much we didn't see that on the other side. It's like Belgium and Italy. It's a very tough matchup, but at the end of the mm-hmm. day, it's a match between two good teams versus a match between a good team and, you know, an underdog fighting for their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have some of the stats here. We got Spain, obviously, dominating possession. That's what they do. And I heard a good point. It was a, a podcast from The Athletic. It's called Zonal Marking. It's just overly tactical and analytical. It's all about analytics. And, and they say Spain no longer produce any center backs other than ball playing center backs like they have stopped developing any other type of player and they're focused Mm. so much on the players that can play the ball out of the back and that can build that they can't make the basic defensive moves they can't they can't battle in the area when they need to that's why they gave up three goals to croatia because their backs are not equipped they don't develop players that are equipped to to battle when it when when a cross is being swung in, I mean they got bailed out by getting Laporte, you know, to switch to switch allegiances and, and join them because they're really hurting at that position. And we've talked yeah. about how they left guys like Sergio Ramos behind, who probably would be fine to play at this point in a match yeah. like the one coming up, where you may need where you may need a a stronger physical presence in the back and not just someone who can make the first pass and build up, you know, a string of 20 passes. Yeah, and absolutely. Um again, they possess and they possess and they possess. They create a lot of chances, but they got one goal to show for it. They got 24 chances created, 28 total shots. Eight, another 880 accurate passes. It's an insane amount of passes. I mean, a lot of them are high percentage ones that are, you know, a four or five foot pass 
square. But um, Still, they, though, 20, 24 shots, like yeah, man, in only like, one to go in, you know, and it's an own goal, not yeah, an own no, goal that was they forced. Didn't, they like didn't have a goal, like that's yeah, insane. It's, I mean. Yeah, I, we, I don't. We've talked about the different kinds of own goals. There's the ones that go in because the defender has no choice but to, but to desperately reach at it. That was not the case today. It was a mishit shot that went off a you know unlucky defender and redirected into the goal. Exactly. So I looking for looking ahead to them versus Italy. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how much of the ball Italy wants. And how much of it they're going to sit back, perhaps. And it looks like we lost him for a moment. Um, but it, I'm interested to see how Italy approach this match against Spain. Now, we haven't talked about yeah. Italy yet. Oh, there he is. Um, we haven't talked about Italy yet. But do they want to have the ball as as often as, as they do right now against these other opponents or are they going to go back to a you know their old school Cantanaggio not not go all the way there but maybe partially go back to their old school mentality I'm sure every single one of those players is comfortable retreating a little further back for 15 or 20 minute spells of the match I don't doubt that for a minute and this Spain Italy match is really really intriguing to me and I'm I'm really, really wondering how they're going to approach it. Now, I don't think Italy are going to try to outpossess Spain. I don't think they're going to try to outspain Spain. I think they're going to play Italian. Uh, playing Italian today means something different than what it used to. They are very good at carrying the ball and at moving. And, you know, as opposed as a po okay, so fade my play just reached out to me. He lost service. Not sure when he'll be back, but he wanted me to reflect on this this sentiment that Italy versus Spain will see the most flops, fake injuries, and time wasting we've ever seen. That is entirely possible, or the game will stay very close and tight, and hopefully that doesn't happen. But. I'm going to give him a, a like there so he knows I got his message. and But, yeah, so we, we look forward to this match, or I do at least. And those of you that listen to the show or watch the show on a regular basis, you know that this is sort of becoming my second team, this Italian team, and that's because I married an, an Italian girl. I have Italian family now. I have a half-Italian son, and I look differently at them. Um there, there was joy in my heart today when I'm down in my, you know, in my basement, in my normal studio working, and I can hear my five-year-old upstairs cheering the Italians on when they score. Makes me look at things a little different. But I think that, I really think Italy is suited to create all kinds of problems for for this Spain team. I, I know Spain are very, very favored. In fact, I'm going to pull up some odds right now, and I will let you know. But um, I know a lot of people are heavy on Spain, and I'm going to put odds on Spain to win the Euros right now, according to 
let's see. According to the sporting news, at least Spain are the odds on favorite. This is, this was 14 hours ago. So this was yesterday, but Spain were at plus 320. Um, let's refine this search just a bit here and see what it is more recently. As either way, Spain are a team that a lot of people are very, very high on. And a lot of people feel like they're playing phenomenally. I feel underwhelmed by this Spanish team. The yes, they've had moments, and yes, they scored 10 goals in two matches, but they also conceded three in one of those matches. And now I see them playing a team that's flying on all cylinders. And what I got to see today, okay, from this Italian team, we're going to get into the Italy match in a moment. And maybe I'll save this observation for that. I'll pull up the Italy match now anyway, and we will talk about that instead. And Italy taking on Switz, taking on um, Belgium, obviously. And I lost my page here, but this match took place in Munich, which is ironic that, again, here's the thing that I'm starting to see. And before I get into this match, here's an observation I'm starting to also make. Um, Italy, on the other hand, okay, Italy, Spain, presumably England, and likely Denmark are going to be the four semifinalists. Tomorrow we will know for sure. Those are four nations that hosted matches at this tournament. And as much as the idea of this format and this style, you know, this spread out across the continent thing, I kind of like from a economic sense. In a sporting sense, I feel like too many teams are getting a home field advantage or home pitch advantage. Too many teams, I think, were carried into the round of 16 by having matches at home. And now it's not the same. England are playing their first match, not just off of English soil tomorrow, but they're playing their first match outside of London, outside of Wembley tomorrow. So that is something that I think is not fair in a sense where Italy had their their group stage matches. But now in the round of 16 and in the quarterfinals, they had to travel outside of their home country while England got to play in theirs. And now, tomorrow, Rome is hosting a quarterfinal that Italy could not have qualified for. There's an inconsistency there from a sporting sense as to some teams are being given a better run than others. And we saw it in, for example, in Group F, Germany got three matches at home. Hungary only got two. Yes, that's a problem, a logistical problem that comes with having two hosts in the same group. I don't mind this multiple host format, but it should, shouldn't be this many teams this many countries getting home home field advantage and then some countries getting a lesser advantage than others and Denmark also got to play at home but then had to travel okay 
Of course, Denmark traveled, I believe they traveled to Russia for one of the group stage matches. They didn't get to play all three at home. I could be, yes, they traveled to play the Netherlands or to play Belgium, excuse me. Now, getting back to to my original point in today's matches, um, Spain are a team, I think, that when they weren't playing well, were being helped in a sense by having these matches at home in the hottest climate in the tournament. I think they got an advantage from playing at home in those matches on a pitch that was poor, on a pitch that was, you know, complained about by everybody that, that went on it. Um, now they're finding their groove. Yes, they've, and now they're playing in cooler climates and they're feeling fresher. I, I don't know. You know, versus a team that might have to do the reverse. So I think, I do think that this format of multiple hosts is the future. I think UEFA are eventually going to go to this probably every time. They may rotate who the three or four countries that host are. But this time, this first one, I think it's a little too much. It's a few too many host nations, and now we see, and if we, we could we count the six teams that are still in this tournament, okay, you have today's winners, Italy and Spain, host nations. You have England, host nation. You have Denmark, host nation. So four out of the six, two-thirds of the teams still left in this competition played home matches. To someone like Belgium, I think that's a little harsh, a little unfair. To a team like even France, it's a little bit hard done. Because had France played that game at home, or any of those group stage matches at home, they might have played differently. Especially the round of 16 match, because they were the group winners. So they earned it. But then they had to go play against Switzerland in a neutral site, whereas other countries get to have home. England precisely get a disproportionate amount of home matches. If they win this tournament, which many are picking them to do as well, a lot of a lot of people are picking Spain, but everyone else seems to be on the Italy, on the England boat. If England win this Euro 2020, they will have played six of their seven matches at Wembley, not just in England, but at Wembley. I think nobody else, I think, even comes close because everybody else now is playing somewhere outside of their home nation. And yes, tomorrow England will take the pitch in Italy, in Rome. But I, it just to me, this seems to be an inconsistency where, where Italy had to travel to Munich today. They were group winners. It's not like they lost their their privilege or their right to play at home due to a performance on the pitch. They've won every match they've played. But now they've had to play two matches outside of Italy, and they won't return to Italy while they're hosting England tomorrow. So I do believe, like we said in the last episode, in episode 59, that I think every Italian that gets into the Stadio Olimpico tomorrow is going to be a Ukraine supporter for tomorrow. Um, it does seem like things are tilted in the favor of of England. And I think today, 
I'm not saying this was intentional, but the way it worked out, it seems like things are going in the favor of Spain. Again, I'm not convinced about that red card, and I have not had a chance to look at that play from multiple angles and to look at it closely enough to come here and give you a definitive answer or a definitive opinion as to whether or not I think it's a red. At first glance, it looked soft. And I don't usually say that. So it looked to me like it was a yellow card foul, not a red. Now, Fade, my play said that he left his feet. So I did was not I didn't realize that watching it live, of course, because again, we're watching these matches during the day while we're at work. And um again, the studs, if they're up, his foot is like this versus the other day where his foot is pointing up and he's kicking up on where um and I'm talking about Marcus Danielson was kicking up at the Ukrainian player and getting his knee again. The studs made contact, even if they're up, they made contact below the ankle. And really, the most con- the majority of the contact was made by the trail leg. So I think it's a different situation, but I still say, um, I still say that had the referee gone and looked at the monitor and still felt it was a red card, I'd have no issue with it at all. The fact that he didn't take another look at it after sending someone out, after changing the match that way, I have an issue with that. And yes, if that means I'm advocating for more VAR, then I'm advocating for more VAR. I'm advocating for VAR to be used correctly, for it to be used logically. I'm not asking for more plays to be reviewed per se, but when there is a sending off, you got to be 100% sure. You have a tool to make sure you didn't get it wrong. And again, if he looks at that video and says that he got it right, then I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. But without looking at it, I have questions. All right, let's move on then. Let's go to Belgium versus Italy. Okay, and this match played at, well, what we call the Allianz Arena and in... Um, Munich, I just got an alert. It looks like Brazil have scored. I'm assuming that's who just scored. Um, but this was at the Allianz Arena, which in this competition is known simply as the FIFA Munich Arena, which is hilarious. So the UEFA Munich Arena. I love how they take the corporate names out of these stadiums for one month. As if we're going to call them something else. I mean, and I'm no fan of... of well, I shouldn't say I'm no fan. I understand 100% why these naming rights are sold. It's a lot of money. But I'm not a fan of calling these these stadiums by their corporate names. Um, even here in my city in Worcester, Massachusetts, the downtown arena where the professional ice hockey team plays, I have always called it what I grew, what it was when I was growing up, the Worcester Centrum. I have yet to call it the DCU Center, and I I never refer to it as that. So that's you know just the way I look at it. I I call it the Boston Garden where the Celtics and Bruins play. I don't call it the TD Garden. Um, that's that's just my vernacular. But anyway, that's off the topic. We are at the the Allianz Arena as they call it. 12,984 in attendance. 
Belgium versus Italy. Here are your lineups. And starting in goal for Belgium is obviously Thibaut Courtois. They're playing 3-4-2-1. And Toby Elderveld is the right center back. Thomas Vermalen in dead center. And Jan Vertonghen, the captain in left center. The double pivot in midfield is Axel Witzel and Yuri Tilsman. Titlesman, excuse me, Titlesman. Uh, Thorgan Hazard and Thomas Mounier play as the play as the wide midfielders slash wingbacks. It's kind of a hybrid position in the way they play. They play further up the pitch than a wingback, so I don't really call them wingbacks, but they can easily drop into that into that zone and play that position when the match calls for it. Um, now, in front of them is Kevin De Bruyne, and my, my guy is in here. I would... Uh, you know, it's unfortunate that Aiden Hazard was not fit to play, okay? Aiden Hazard was not fit to play. There were two injury concerns for this match coming in for Belgium. One was Aiden Hazard. The other was Kevin De Bruyne. Now now we're finding out hours after the match that Kevin De Bruyne played injured, and he believes he has ligament damage, and he played anyway. I would love to hear from Man City supporters what they think about that. I'd love to hear from Pep Guardiola what he thinks about that. But um, Kevin De Bruyne did play, though he did not train and all since the last match, while Aiden Hazard um, got through some training but ended up not being fit to play, didn't pass, his, didn't pass the fitness test or whatever. He was in the stands, replaced by my guy, Jeremy Doku, and... This is a, I love this player. Can I just say right here, this is a player I want to watch for the next decade. 19-year-old Jeremy Doku plays his club football for Rennes right now in in French Ligue 1. And I thought he was really, really good in this match. He was one of Belgium's Belgium's best players. And in fact, was Belgium's highest rated player, according to FOTMOB, in this match. And they play behind the striker, Rumelu Lukaku, of course, of Inter Milan. For Italy, okay, they're playing their standard 4-3-3 for Roberto Mancini, the goalkeeper, Gianluigi Donnarumma. I had to ask my wife, is it an Italian law that goalkeepers must be named Gianluigi? Because we had, for a generation, Gianluigi Buffon. And now we got Gianluigi Donnarumma. But... Donnarumma played a phenomenal match today. He made some huge, huge saves in this match. And I think he is he is a stud of a goalkeeper. I think he is climbing. And he's definitely world-class. And I think he is going to be in the conversation for best goalkeeper in the world very, very soon. The right back is Giovanni Di Lorenzo. The two center backs, who else? But... Leonardo Bonucci and his partner in crime, both for, of Juventus and of the Italian national team. None other than the captain, Il Capitano, Giorgio Chiellini. The left back is Leonardo Spinazzola, who unfortunately suffered a serious injury in this match. It sounds like he has ligament, uh, Achilles, te- excuse me, Achilles tendon. Uh, damage and his tournament is over from from all accounts I've been reading his Euro 2020 is over um, and he's going to be missing a few months of the new season when it starts up very very sad because he 
was a fantastic player for Italy in this tournament. Probably the best left back in the entire tournament. Um, really, really sad to see him pick up an injury by himself, you know, with no contact. It's always a, it's always a bad injury when there's no contact, I find. The injuries where you get hurt all by yourself are always harsher and worse than when you are hit by somebody. Uh, and it's very, very concerning. And I hope that he can, uh, re- you know, he can recoup, that he can recover from this injury, rehab well, and get back to his club and get back informed. I mean, there was talks of Real Madrid and Barcelona being ready to make a bid for this player. He was playing so well. Very, very sad to see him go out injured. Midfield anchored by none other than Jorginho, who has also been out of this world in this tournament. Well, maybe the best central midfielder in the entire tournament thus far, especially in terms of orchestrating uh, the players around him and orchestrating the play, um, orchestrating the ball movement. He's just been so, so good for Italy. Uh, to his right, Nicolo Barella. To his left, Marco Verratti. And then up front, you have the veteran Ciro Immobile starting as the striker. To his right, the youngster Federico Chiesa. And I feel so vindicated that Federico Chiesa is in the starting lineup today. And he played well again. I've been calling for this player. I knew there was a good reason I made him the captain of my fantasy team. Yes, my last place fantasy team. But <laughs> I believe in that player so much. I think that is a superstar also for the as, along with Jeremy Doku. These are two players that for the next 10 years, I can't wait to watch them grow and develop. I can't wait to see what lies ahead for both of those players. And Chiesa was fantastic again today. Um, and then the left-sided mid, the left-sided attacker was the man you know maybe the man of the match in this one Lorenzo Insigne with he ended up getting the winning goal what I like about this Italian team and this is the point I was going to make a little earlier and then I I delayed talking about it is today I, I got to see Italy do everything I wanted Portugal to do to Belgium okay they exposed Belgium's back line. They ran at them. They forced them into uncomfortable positions. That second goal, okay, that second goal was exactly what I wanted to see from Diogo Jota, Cristiano Ronaldo, and Bernardo Silva on Sunday. Get between those defenders. Use your piece to get between them, get through them, and get in on the other side and put a shot on goal. That didn't happen at all on Sunday. Italy today did everything that I wanted Portugal to do against Belgium. And there's good reason for this. And I was listening uh, to the Slesson podcast, which is a podcast all about the Portuguese national team. And the host, Danny Pinto, had BN Sports, Eric Krakauer, on throughout this tournament as his co-host and as his analyst. And he said, Portugal had a lot of the ball and attacked a lot, but lacked offensive processes. And I agreed with that. And I've now seen the game a second time. And yes, it was just, it was a chaotic attack. Not Italy today. Italy today had processes. They have well-defined roles. They have well, um, 
well-trained routines of runs. The players know where each other is going. There's no confusion about it. When the ball is out on the right to Barella, he knows Chiesa's coming into the inside channel to receive. And if his back is to go, Chiesa knows you know, where Immobile is going. He knows that Jorginho is going to show up in that space. If his back is to goal and he sees Jorginho coming in, he knows the run he's making, and he puts the ball into that space. Jorginho knows he can make the switch to Insigne, and then Insigne gets the ball on the left, and now he's got a defender. He's got uh, Albert Vild, uh 1v1 isolated, and he knows he can run at him every time. And they did it over and over and over. And for 60, 70 minutes, Italy, in this match, were the only team on the pitch. Belgium were rescued by a penalty, okay? And again, I'm going to be consistent, okay? We live in an age of VAR. We, You cannot apply the principles of what is a penalty from before VAR to what is a penalty today with VAR. So with that said, I agree, though it was a minimal contact, that that was a penalty, okay? You could review it, but you are going to see, you are going to see DiLorenzo's arm come up just enough and make contact. And again, I say this on this podcast. I say this on Mr. Benfica. It's not a question of how hard the contact is or how much force is used. That's irrelevant. It's a yes or no question. Yes, there was contact or no, there was not. Now that we live in VAR, that is the question. Once the referee looks at it, that becomes the question. So there was no way this was going to be overturned because yes, there was contact and yes, DiLorenzo's arm came out. This is a normal play three and a half, four years ago before the advent of VAR. But today it's not. It is a penalty, and they checked to make sure it was in the area. It was. Great play by Jeremy Doku. Okay, again, I am so high on this player. And he 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 does what I just, you know, complimented Lorenzo Insigne for doing so well. He gets out on, on his left, runs at the right back. Um, Doku has phenomenal pace. And again, like Mark Clattenberg said on ESPN here in the United States, Player with that kind of pace, it doesn't take much of a nudge to knock him off balance, take him down. That's what happened. So for me, the penalty is well called. Romelu Lukaku converts, and he gets his fourth goal of the match of the tournament. Comes within one of Cristiano Ronaldo for the golden boot. But that would be all that he would get because, and that was at the end of the first half. So all of these goals coming in the first half, ironically, in the 31st, it was Barella with a nice goal. This was after Bonucci had a goal um, overruled by VAR for an offside, which was a good call because it, the ball hit Barella on its way to, to Bonucci. Barella, which puts Bonucci in an offside position. Good call by the VAR. Good call by the referee to overturn it. Uh, disappointing, of course, anytime you get your team gets a goal and you you don't end up getting to keep the goal, of course. But Italy do not get they do not get rattled. They do not, you know, lose their their form. They do not lose their focus. They don't lose their processes. They continue to go through the same offensive processes. 
they continue to find each other in good spaces. They continue to get in and penetrate in behind this, let's be honest, old and weak backline of Belgium, which I think was their Achilles heel in this match, in this tournament, really, um, because they just were not, they needed a younger backline, in my opinion, to get through this this tournament and to give themselves a chance to win it. Um, you can play all the beautiful football you want, but if you cannot keep the other team from putting the ball in the back of your net. You're not going to win tournaments. These tournaments are so hard to win. If this is a league competition where 24 teams play each other twice and you have a 46, you know, a 46 match league, Belgium is is easily one of your favorites to win. They're one of your top three or four teams. And um maybe they're the best team of all because they'd find form, they'd score goals. These kinds of unlucky plays or referees' decisions all get, you know, evened out in that type of competition. This is not that competition. This is a tournament and it's a knockout match, and you don't have, you can't afford to allow goals like they did today. So Barella gets his in the 31st. Insigne with a beautiful, beautiful goal in the 44th. That just, both of these goals had me uplifted again. Somewhat my team, but not really. I don't have the same emotional attachment that um, my wife does, for example, or my my father-in-law, or even my five-year-old son who really got behind them today. But these goals really got me pretty fired up for this game. And then again, I use the word anticlimactic again when a penalty like that is called and Lukaku steps up and scores it, you know, no fault of his own. I, I felt the same way I did, although this wasn't, like I said, this wasn't my team per se. It was very reminiscent of the penalty called against Nelson Semedo um, on on Kylian Mbappe in the Portugal-France match. Again, same thing. Not a lot there, but yes, the arm is up. Yes, it's extended. And even if the offensive player just runs into it, once you go to the video screen, that's going to be a penalty. So. Uh, exciting 45 minutes in the first half. We got all three goals there. And then as the match went on, um, I still say for the next 15, 20 minutes, Italy were good. Italy were very good. Uh, they started to die down as the match went on, of course. And we can look here at the substitutions that were made. Um, it was in the 45. Sorry, in the 69th is the first substitution of the match. And it's a triple substitution by by Roberto Martinez. He sends in Dries Mertens, uh, Nasir Chadi, and Dennis Pratt. Um, or I should say it was a double substitution first in the 69th minute. Uh, Dries Mertens replaces Yuri Thielmans, and Nasir Chadi replaces Thomas Munier. Four minutes later, unfortunately, Nasser Chadi cannot continue. He picks up an injury on the only play and only touch of the ball he really had in this match. He picks up a knock, and he has to be substituted after only four minutes on the pitch. Dennis Pratt comes in. 74th minute, uh, Mancini makes a couple of defense-minded or solidifying-minded substitutions. On comes Brian Cristante from Marco Verratti. And Andrea Bellotti comes in for Ciro Immobile. I like this substitution, and I'll tell you why. Andrea Bellotti is a big, big 
center forward. He is built much like Romelu Lukaku. No, he's not the same type of player, but he can use his size and his strength against, you know, the Vermeilens and the Vertongans and the Alderweils of the world and just kind of push them around and make them work harder and wear them down more. And I think if you wear them down more, he's going to stop them from being able to get up the pitch and be that first pass. You know, when a ball gets cleared and the center backs are playing higher up, they can get it. And they, especially when you have three ball playing central defenders like Belgium do, um, that can find feet very well and find players in open spaces. You wear them down a little bit by, by putting a striker like Belotti up there to just press them and to just hurry them and even to put a body on them and slow them down even more. Uh, Cristante for Verratti is, is a, you know, like for like in a, in a sense, very much defense minded substitution, but, um, Cristante is a player I like a lot as well. And then in the 79th, Domenico Berardi comes in for Lorenzo Insigne and Emerson comes in for the injured Leonardo um, Spinazzola. This was the injury that he came up with, and yeah, it it is not good. Uh, World Soccer Talk has already reported that it is an Achilles tendon uh, injury and that he is expected to miss a couple of months. Very, very sad. Roberto Mancini said after the match in the presser that um, he's also very sad for Spinozola, who had been so, so good in this tournament and didn't deserve this injury. An injury that, you know, nobody inflicted on him. It was something that happened all by himself. But Italy very, very professionally see out the result. They did wear, and Belgium did start to get chances. Donnarumma came up big a couple times in this one. And um, eventually the referee blows his whistle. Time expires. After five added minutes, uh, Belgium could not find the equalizer. They had trouble scoring in these last two matches, uh, aside from a very, very good strike against a out of position Rui Patricio in the round of sixteen. I'm not gonna, I'm not blaming him for the goal, but his first move went the wrong way, and that's why he gave up. The, that's why he surrendered the goal. So that needs to be factored in to the factored into the equation of of Belgium's goal because if not for that error he saves it and maybe Belgium you know go out eventually in the round of 16 um today they get one from the penalty spot on a very I'm going to call it fortunate penalty kick okay I'm not saying it was the wrong call but it was a very fortunate penalty kick and yeah you got to ask questions I don't understand why Belgium again sat back so much I understood against Portugal because they had a lead. Today they didn't have a lead. Um and they sat back for much of the for about an hour really. They were sitting too far back. Italy was pushing them back all match. And um I think this was a very very good performance, a very improved performance from the Italians and I think the Azzurri are on the right path and like I said, I'm looking forward very much to that match against Spain on Tuesday. Italy versus Spain. I'm looking forward to see whose style is going to win out or if or if Italy is going to let Spain possess but keep them at bay, keep them at distance. Again, Spain's finishing rate is not good. Even for all the goals they have scored, if you factor in the ones they didn't, it's not a good percentage. 
And it'll be interesting because I don't think Mancini's going to play that way. I think he's going to keep playing the way they've been playing, what's gotten them here. But losing Spinazzola is going to be is going to be tough because, as Taylor Twelman said when he came in, Emerson is his replacement, and he's not as good of a one-on-one -on -one defender, and he's not as good of an attacker as Spinazzola. But we'll see if he makes any adjustments in midfield. Perhaps we see uh Locatelli get back into the 11 for that match perhaps either Verratti or uh or um or Barella uh, move to the bench although Barella getting a goal today you don't normally that doesn't land you on the bench for the next match but that is um a match I can't wait to watch and so we have two matches tomorrow to close up. We'll we'll go at a quick preview, and just an update. Yes, Brazil is winning one to nil right now in the quarterfinal, seventieth minute against Chile. And earlier today, Peru beat Paraguay three three. Well, they drew three three. Peru wins on penalties four to three. So it is Peru and advancing, and it looks like Brazil will join them in the semifinals. Um, there's about 20 minutes left to go in that match right now. Moving to tomorrow's Euro matches. Okay, we have at 12 o'clock Eastern time, um, 9 o'clock Pacific, and this match is going to be played in Baku of all places. So it's probably about 8 or 9 p.m. Baku time, maybe 7 p.m., it will be the Czech Republic taking on Denmark. I like Denmark in this match a lot. I don't know that it's even going to be close. Um, I think Denmark are playing with very, very um, – they're playing with house money in a, in a way. But they're very well liked, and I think that they are playing with a lot of heart right now as well. So it would not surprise me if, if Denmark – have another two, three goal victory here. Um, Bjorn Kuipers is going to be the referee in the Olympic Stadium in Baku, Azerbaijan. And we have probable lineups as it looks like, it looks like Paulson's going to be out again. Um, of course, Christian Eriksen is not available. Paulson's not listed in the injury list though. So maybe he's a game time decision for Denmark. But of course, Den like I said, Denmark just playing well. Um, I I shouldn't doubt the Czechs though. I did this last round and they and they came out and they proved me wrong. So who knows? Um, I could be wrong about this. Patrick Schick is has scored, you know, four goals in this competition as well. He's also only one behind Cristiano Ronaldo. He can pull level with them if he scores tomorrow. Um, I should know better at this point than to bet against the Czechs. So I'm going to do it anyway. And I think that the, the Danes are going to win this one. I think that they've got too much passion, too much heart, and too much momentum coming into this one. Uh, they're going to head into their what I think is a, what they are destined for, which is a epic semifinal against England at Wembley on Wednesday. And I think that England has you know, got, I think, somewhat of a break in drawing or not really drawing, but getting the Ukraine in this in this quarterfinal tomorrow. And I don't think they're going to get lucky again and get 
the checks again. Although same thing, same, same principle applies that I said to Italy if they were to get Switzerland again. They had an easy victory over, over uh, the Czechs. The Czechs sat back a lot. Maybe maybe what, at, what Leo said at DGNs United when he was on the show with me last Saturday, maybe he wasn't, maybe he was on to something when he said that the Czechs didn't want to win that match. Maybe they didn't want to reveal their cards, knowing that they were on a course to possibly see England again in the semifinals. It that wouldn't be the the worst idea in the world, especially if you believe you're going to advance anyway. To not to not lay your cards out and to save your performance for the semifinal, because again, I, as a a fan or especially as a coach, I would hate to go to a tournament and have to play a team more than once, because now that team has so much to work with. Especially if you won the first one, they have so much information and data especially in this day and age, to improve their performance. They are, you know, going to be able to scout that video, review the video over and over and over. And they now have three more game, three more matches of footage of you to look at. So I think a Eng- England-Denmark semifinal is more entertaining for us neutrals. And I think it will make for better football because they're less likely to cancel each other out. Um. So I, I I like Denmark in this one. I just took a look here on FOTMOB. And it's actually a toss-up because out of 31,000 votes on FOTMOB, 31% say the Czechs are going to win, 32% say the Danes are going to win, and 37% of people select extra time. So it could be it could be any of those will both teams score i'm going to say yes and out of 4000 people um 4800 i should say 79% say both teams are going to score will there be more than 2.5 goals i'm going to say no and i'm in the minority people are saying that there will be so um people believe that there's going to be a lot of goals in this match obviously the final thing is, um, I just, I, I don't, again, will the Czech Republic get the same kind of fortune they got last match? I don't know that they're going to be able to play against, they're going to get to play against 10 men again for such a long period of time like they did against the Netherlands, which made a huge difference. And of course, they're not facing possibly the worst manager in, inter- in international football in Frank De Boer again. They're facing a good manager. Uh, from Denmark, they are facing. They're facing the manager, Casper um, Humland, hum, and um, I don't think that they're going to get that kind of luck and that kind of assistance again from their opponent or the referee. So, not the referee; it wasn't his fault that the Licht handled the ball the way he did. But I think that the Danes win this one, and in the other match, I. Don't see how England lose to the Ukraine. Um, perhaps that's naive of me because this Ukraine team has players and they've they have silenced doubters before here on Fought Mob. I'm gonna select England and how many people agree? Out of 33,000, 36,000 have picked England, 20, uh, sorry, 36% have picked England out of the 33,000. 
20% have picked the Ukraine and 44% are selecting a draw to go to extra time. So maybe, maybe I'm not entirely accurate on how high people are on England, but I listen to enough English um, sports radio. I listen to talk sport, BBC five. I read, you know, sky sports online. So I'm maybe I'm just influenced by the British media, but I feel like they, they are, they have booked their hotel suites for the night of the final already. And I, I feel like England fans believe they, they have qualified for the final and it's going to be an epic final in their eyes where they, you know, going to the site, it's a different building, but it's the same site where they won their last major trophy. What was it now? 54 years ago at the old Wembley winning the world cup in 1966. So it almost seems in the cards for them. They're singing footballs coming home. That song has been resurrected 25 years later after it was on the radio in 1996 for Euro 96. It's it's getting played in the stadiums again. Um, Jose Mourinho was asked on TalkSport about if football was coming home. He says, well, the final will be in England, so football will come home. And they tried to get him to say that England are going to win. And he says he he says he he would like that, but he's flying to Italy in the morning. And if he doesn't say that Italy are going to win, they're not going to like him there. So he will not he will not select between Italy and England. I think that's going to be the final. That's the final that I would like to see as a neutral. Um, however, again, there is the home home factor, which is annoying if you're not an England fan. That um, if if they were intended to be the sole host, then the tournament should have been played in England. They should have played it in England, and we would have had, you know, I mean, we wouldn't have had full stadiums because they don't have that 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 luxury in England at this time. But I mean, if a team's gonna play six out of seven matches at home, they should have just been the host. I think they could have divided up the number of matches. Maybe te- in the future, teams that host knockout matches don't play group matches at home. That'd be a good, a good offset of home home field advantage. But anyway, I think that England going to have too much. Even though Yarmolenko is is a guy that can make things happen, Yarmachuk as well for the Ukraine. Um, Andrei Shevchenko is a good a good national team manager. He'll have a good plan in place. Obviously, Alexander uh, Alexander is going to want to Alexander Zinchenko is going to want to play well against England, given that he's employed by an English club, as is as is Yarmolenko and a few other guys. But I just England, and I agree with Jose Mourinho. He said this as well that they don't need to play with two holding mids in this match. Uh, they don't need to play with a double holding mid. They can play with. They can rest either Declan Rice or uh, or Kalen Phillips. Um, Jordan Henderson is being slotted, is being predicted as a starter. I think there there's a, some likelihood to that. Um, I don't know if they're going to play with three at the back. I I don't expect it, but uh, here in the in the preview on Fought Mob, they they do expect a three four three, but that's just the way they played last match. I don't really think they're going to come out with that, that formation against, against uh, the Ukraine with Maguire stones and Walker in the back, then Trippier and Luke Shaw's wingbacks. I don't know. I could be wrong, but um, I would like to, again, I, I've said this every single episode. 
And it's too bad F8 My Plays isn't here anymore because I wanted to ask him this. Now that, at least, you know, all for all intents and purposes, now that Jaden Sancho is a Manchester United player, which means now that he's a Premier League player, does he go right into the lineup tomorrow? If he starts tomorrow, if he gets substantial playing time tomorrow, then my theory about Garrett Southgate just not liking the players not based in England may come true. He only plays Kieran Trippier when he absolutely has to. And this guy was the best 11 player in La Liga this year. We'll see what happens. But I'm, I'm select, I am choosing England and Denmark to advance to the semifinals. So that, my friends, is going to wrap up this episode 60 of Parking the Bus. Um Part one of the quarterfinals. Tomorrow will obviously be part two. And tomorrow there'll be some bonus content. I will break down the quarterfinal action from Copa America. I'll break down all four matches tomorrow. And then we'll move from there because then we get another two days off. We get Sunday and Monday off. And then Tuesday the semifinals start. My friends, we're getting to the end of this, this project. We're getting to the end of this tournament. There are only... I think four episodes left. There is tomorrow quarterfinal part two, the the two semifinal parts, and then the final four left. However, I will probably do a Copa America final uh, episode as well on Saturday of next week. Um, so expect five more episodes in this little sub series, if you will, of the Park in the Bus podcast, the Euro twenty twenty nightly report. I want to thank you for listening uh, tonight. I want to thank you for watching. Thank you to at Babe My Place for tuning in from his car. Um, he was in transit. It was uh, that guy is awesome. I mean, he makes every effort to be here with me, and he has given me so much of his time. And I am very, very thankful for that. And this show has benefited from having him here. And um, I look forward to having him on again. Um, if not tomorrow, definitely for the semifinals. And don't forget to follow him at Fade My Play. Follow me at PTB underscore media. However, at the end of this series, after this series, I'm going to start to use my personal Twitter account um, because it's just becoming too much to tweet for parking the bus and tweet for Mr. Benfica. Having two shows, I'm going to consolidate everything. And I will have the two different Twitters, but there'll be more for posting links to shows while comments and things like that will will um commentaries will be made on my personal twitter which is at mike agustinu you see my name there just put it together in one word and put the at sign in front and go ahead and follow me i need followers there i don't have very many because i have had that account for years and never really used it and again if you're watching on youtube hit the subscribe button hit the bell next to it so that you get alerted when i go live there will be more. And um, I want to thank my parents, obviously, for going to Portugal for for three weeks and uh, basically allowing me to come into the the bedroom I grew up in. <laughs> it's, it's now their office, but this is the room I grew up in. Um, those are my that's one of my game balls back there. Uh, my trophies used to be up there as well. Now it's just that game ball. But uh, my Luis Figo poster is up there still. And it's not a, it's an ad I cut out of a magazine when I was about 15 years old. And I got a couple of awards in here. Still pretty, pretty 
cool that I'm back in here. But this will be my this will be my studio for the rest of this portion of the podcast for the rest of the Euro episodes due to their internet being so much better than mine. And it's been great to be crystal clear to you all night. So this is going to do it again. A farewell the Mr. Mike Agustinu signing off for the Parking the Bus podcast here on the BTV Media Network. I'll see you tomorrow, 8.30 p.m. Eastern time again, 5.30 Pacific. And we'll break down tomorrow's matches. Good night, everybody. Agora vamos brindar novamente O sorriso na cara está sempre presente O nosso caminho é seguir em frente Esqueço o teu passado e vivo o presente E se for, primeiro levo toda a gente Ao meu lado, tenho os mesmos desde sempre Firme na corrida com a fé na minha vida até o fim só sabemos viver assim Olhem para mim Para tudo passa a palavra Digo que estou aqui Com família, amigos A minha volta para repetir Uma festa Uma festa
pool of lights, electricity in the room tonight. Born from fire, sparks flying from the sun. Hey, I hardly know you. Can I confess? I feel your heart beating in my chest. If you come with me, tonight is gonna be the one. Cause you fail and no fear for the fight. You pull hope from defeat in the night. There's an image of you in my mind. Could be mad, but you might just be right. Just be right 